0: morning if you would go ahead and turn to Psalm 34 <clears throat> Psalm 34 have enough for every individual, but we'll find out. Psalm 34, we had read this a couple weeks back, I think it was, and uh, we'll read it again here momentarily as soon as uh, everyone has a paper there. It's a handout, but I'll have to admit, hastily prepared. Uh, I'm not the most creative person with handouts and stuff so my wife was like you need to put like a crossword puzzle in there or something <laughs> I'm like it would take me a year to figure out a crossword puzzle to put in there but anyway probably would for real but Anyway, Psalm 34, let's go ahead, if everybody's there, let's go ahead and read that, and uh, I'll just uh, introduce it by saying, remember, this is according to the heading of the psalm, which we believe are authentic with the psalms. uh, This is a psalm that was written on the occasion when David fled to Philistia the first time, and... uh, didn't st- ended up not really staying, but uh, got himself into into trouble it seemed, and uh, anyway the Lord delivered him, helped him, and got him back to the land of Israel to Judah in safety. Uh, and this is a psalm that David wrote, apparently reflecting back on that, maybe a short time after, maybe very soon after, but reflecting on how the Lord delivered him, and then. He changes about the middle of the psalm and then uses that occasion to say, okay, now I want to teach you. Perhaps this was directed toward the men that had started to follow him after he had fled back to Judah. Uh, in, in 1 Samuel 22, it tells us that he, you know, different people started coming to him and, and, and you know, be following him, I guess you would say. Uh, and it's very possible that he was using this as an occasion to teach them, all right, if we're going to follow the Lord, this is some stuff we need to learn. And uh, I think that's very fitting. But anyway, so we'll uh, have you all read. I'll, I'll ask Pastor Brinker to start, and then you all just go around for as long as it takes, all right, 22 verses. But. All right, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The Lord with me, and let us exalt together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him, and were like and their faces and were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. They angel go, the Lord encamped round about them that feared him, and delivered them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come ye, children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life, and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking God. Depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and shall to the, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save us such as be of a contrite spirit many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivereth him out of them all he keepeth all his bones not one of them is broken evil shall slay the wicked and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate all right let's go ahead and pray thank you lord for your word please help us this morning as we look at this portion of your word and Help us to to trust you, fear you, follow you as we ought, and most of all to love you as we ought. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we, we had been through part of this, and we had spent some time in the background and everything. I'm going to try not to spend much time in that again this morning, but remember, this is a reflection back. This psalm has a couple different big elements in it. Um, it's, it's obviously like many of the Psalms, a reflection back on a personal experience that David had and, you know, how God worked in that situation. And there's a variety of those obviously throughout the Psalms. So it's a Psalm of praise categorized that way. But it's also a Psalm of instruction because as we had seen before, and as you probably noticed as it was read i don't remember who read verse 11 but there's a change in verse 11 where david reflecting back on his personal circumstances to now he's inviting others all right come on let's and and listen i want to teach you something is what he's saying so it's it's considered a psalm of instruction as well which there are a lot of those uh, also and then there's another small element in it as far as categorying psalms um, if you remember there, particularly in verse 19, the New Testament refers to this verse specifically and then would tell us that this is a messianic psalm. This is a prophetic statement about the Lord Jesus, something that He experienced on the cross, uh, that none of His bones were broken. John chapter 19 refers back to this particular verse in this psalm, uh, therefore, again, classifying it in that regard as well. But uh, when, when we consider the psalm and, again, the circumstance, uh, as many of them, we have an indication of why this, what the occasion was, not all we do, but um, so we can think back, okay, in David's life and look at that circumstance, look at the psalm, and you can obviously see some lessons that David was personally learning and then obviously, of course, that we should learn from that. So we, we're not going to take time this week to read in 1 Samuel. We, we did that a couple of weeks ago, 1 Samuel 21, uh, which gives us that historical background to the psalm. But it's interesting, I was thinking about this, and I, can't, I, I don't remember if we mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago or not, but I was thinking on this again this morning, that in this psalm, it seems to me, okay, uh, I'll say it that way, that David... Kind of got himself into a pickle here he kind of you know because of a decision he made he felt like there's nowhere else to go so he runs to the philistines and then after he gets there and starts you know kind of feeling out the situation and thinking okay i don't think this is going to work out the way that i thought it would and uh you know and i thought well i do that a whole lot unfortunately And probably we all do to some degree or another, Uh, and so in some ways, this psalm, obviously, if we can learn the lessons and apply them to our lives, we can hopefully avoid that in our lives. But it's interesting because in the same kind of context, they're running to the Philistines. That was, you know, we have we have record of both Abraham and Isaac doing the same thing, centuries before David did. Uh, And I thought that was interesting. Maybe he kind of learned that, if you want to say, from thinking, okay, well, Abraham did this, because he would have had, you know, the record of that. Uh, And Isaac did this. Now, and I went back and checked, because I'm thinking, okay, in their circumstances, it was the same thing. God did not tell them to go to the land of the Philistines. They, in both of those circumstances, there was a famine that came in the land of Canaan, where they were living. And as a result, they picked up and went to the land of the Philistines. Now, that was the second time that Abraham had left the land that God had directed him to, remember? Left the Ur of the Chaldees, and then spent some time in Haran and in Syria, and then came down to Canaan. And this was the second time in Genesis 20, is Abraham's account of this, but that's the second time that he did. First time he went to Egypt, remember? And again, at least. Uh, indirectly we can learn some circumstances that some bad things that came about so to speak as a result of that but of course God is able to work in all things and bring good from those uh, Romans 8:28. but this time in Abraham's life God didn't direct him to leave I was looking back at that and just trying to make sure that was proper memory but there's no record that God told him to go there but when he was there Uh, You know, he got himself into trouble lying about his wife again, at least sort of lying. I mean, there's some truth to it, but you you know the story, all right? He deceived uh, Abimelech, the the king of the Philistines, and uh, anyway, they take Sarah, and uh, anyway, through all of that, of course, again, Abraham kind of got himself into a bad situation, but God worked on his behalf, all right, got him out of that situation, Similar thing with with Isaac. And it's interesting with the Israelites, you see patterns like that. that They they carried on the, uh, if you want to say the traits, sometimes sins of their fathers a lot, until. It's interesting that with the uh, Israelites, when you read the book of Genesis, that was a familiar trait among their family, that they were deceptive, until it seems that Joseph is the one that broke that. Uh, But anyway, um, you see Isaac doing something very similar. Now, it does say in Genesis 26, when Isaac fled to to the Philistines, that after he was there, God told him, okay, don't go into Egypt. Stay here and I will bless you. All right. But he had already gone. All right. So God was kind of doing that retroactively god didn't tell him to go there's no record of that anyway so but again you see that god in spite of their bad decisions god does intervene and bring about good okay same thing with david all right here in that same scenario it seems all right Uh, god taught david some good lessons through this of him trusting his own flesh trusting his decisions and so on and it's interesting that that's why We have verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and what? Lean not to your own understanding, all right? Uh, You know, and the big theme today in the world, Disney and in the world at large, you know, follow your heart. Well, Proverbs 28 says, he that trusts in his heart's a fool. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. Trusting in our own hearts will get us in trouble. And so we need to, instead of trusting our heart, we need to trust God's word, obviously. But uh, so you, you see that, okay? And I think that to me, again, that's, that's important to realize that the deliverance that David is praising God for here was necessary because of, a, in, in reality, a fleshly decision that David made. Now, this isn't the only fleshly decision that De- David ever made in his life, and, uh, you know, Unfortunately, I've made multiple bad decisions in my life, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be more of them, but uh, it doesn't have to be that way, right? Uh, in any, you know, it's like we, we talk about this idea that, well, it's inevitable that Christians are going to sin, all right? Christians do sin, but Christians don't have to sin. In any given, it's not a matter of sinless perfection, okay, it's not like you reach a state that you don't sin anymore, but in any given situation, God does provide what's needed to avoid sin. All right, now that's not the theme of our our lesson here this morning, but as we look at the psalm, all right, let's just kind of, let's go back and look at the, the part that's titled exposition of the psalm, all right? Two main parts that you see here, you see David's song of praise, you see David's sermon here to others uh, instructing them. So verses 1 through 10, David's song. Now, I don't have a copy of what I gave you, so I don't know exactly, I know I left some things blank, I just kind of whited them out and spaced them a little bit there uh, for you. But David's song, I think that's one blank that you have there. Um, in verses 1 through 10. First of all, you see David's declaration, kind of just stated here in verses 1 through 3, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Now, this is very similar to other psalms. Uh, as far as the wording that's chosen here, um, the words that are used, such as bless. Remember, I, I don't know if you remember, and I don't remember how long ago it was, we looked at Psalm 145, which I think is a great example of what worshiping God is, and the words that are there uh, are there for a reason, all right? Remember the idea of exalting the Lord, which is the idea of making Him big, not that we make Him anything else, but In our minds we lift him up we we magnify him we exalt him but it also involves blessing which is the same word there as here that means to humble ourselves to kneel down before so you're blessing the one that you're kneeling before but you can't do this particular action unless you are humbling yourself right so if we're going to truly worship God it involves seeing him for who he is making him big but we have to become little similar like John the Baptist said in John chapter 3 he must increase I must decrease all right that that's necessary if we're gonna have the right view of God if we're gonna worship Him if we're gonna truly praise Him and David says here I'm gonna bless him literally same idea I'm gonna kneel before him I'm gonna humble myself before him and he says at all times very similar wording that's used other places all right so again Uh, this is something that should be constant in our lives all right praise he uses the word praise here in verse 1 his praise shall continually be in my mouth always right but uh, the word praise here is the idea of a song or a hymn of praise and so he's you could say he's going to sing the lord's praises all right and david probably sung a lot. I mean, again, the psalms, which are songs, are associated with David. He he uh, was obviously some kind of musician as well. He played the harp. Remember, uh, way back in his career that we see in the Bible, he played the harp. Before he died, part of his preparation for Solomon's temple was he had instruments made. And apparently instruments that aren't necessarily specified for us, I mean, you know maybe he was creative in making instruments you know coming up with new kinds of instruments combinations of of different strings for different sound whatever but you know he 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 obviously music was something that was important to david it was part of his his whole nature and soul and he used it to praise god he says my glory all right here in uh verse well verse one he says i'll bless the lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth, and then he says in verse two, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I've ever read this verse before, it just stumped me. I'm thinking, who in the world is he talking to her here? I even had heard a preacher one time say, use this verse, all right, and say this was the purpose of dating, all right, for you know, whatever but uh he preached a whole sermon on the purpose of dating and it was that so the guy would make this girl boast in the lord or something anyway but then i started looking at this grammatically the whole point is okay the her refers back to soul here soul is a feminine word in hebrew and it's just a pronoun referring back to the word soul the idea is david saying my soul is going to make you could think of it in our english it's boast in the lord so in other words my soul's going to boast in the lord is what he's saying there's nothing else to boast in, is what David's saying. It's not me, it's the Lord, all right? And then he says, uh, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And that, that goes together, because if your soul is boasting in the Lord, it's, you realize, I mean, it's a matter of humility. There's nothing in me to boast in. It's all the Lord, all right? And so, humility here. He's going to brag on, lift up the Lord, and he invites others. Uh, in verse three oh magnify the lord with me let us exalt his name together the idea is remember david's already mentioned here in verse two i have this weird string i keep getting caught in here it's on from the ribbon on this one bible so it keeps getting caught on me uh but uh it's as if okay he's saying let's sing this in unison like when we sing you know let's do this in unison before we were doing back and forth parts you know and and then we there were parts that we were all in unison and david's saying in unison let's sing together let's magnify god is the idea now you see so again he's he's just declaring the fact that he's praising god for god having intervened in his life god having delivered him now he refers to this uh specifically in in verses four through seven Notice the wordings that are used, and you see David's deliverance spoken of here in verses 4 through 7. All right, he says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, I want to just stop for a second before I even point out some of the things in these verses and think about this, all right? Just based on general Bible knowledge that everybody in here has, okay, can we say that God loves us I mean without really stopping and thinking about it and hunting verses and you know all this kind of stuff I mean that's something that every one of us knows right God loves us all right so let me ask you this as well in our lives does God desire to hurt you to you know tease you to you know like a cat playing with a mouse kind of thing uh you know is that god's intentions in your life or is he desiring to help you to to show his love to you to draw you closer to himself i mean again those are things we know right i mean we know those things but in living life we oftentimes have to stop and purposefully remind ourselves of those Because our flesh, okay, our flesh, just, you know, our human flesh is naturally rebellious toward God, and our flesh oftentimes tells us that God doesn't love us. How can he love us if this is happening? I mean, you see what I'm saying? That's our flesh, and there's a battle there, all right, in the Christian, all right, because we... we. In one way we know better but on the other hand the circumstances are kind of like the uh, what's the right word to use the activator maybe like uh, is that what you would call it with like an epoxy type glue you have the actual glue but then you have this other substance you have to mix with it that activates it and makes it sticky (laughs) Uh, but uh, but circumstances kind of act that way with our flesh. They, they tease our flesh and get our flesh to think and, and be active in thinking, okay, we can't have this. And of course we have an enemy, the devil, who has a lot of help and a lot of henchmen that are busy doing things as well, but our flesh, the world we live in, the whole philosophy of life around us, I mean, all this contributes to us not trusting God, not loving God as we ought, And it's not that God doesn't want to deliver us in that, but sometimes He simply wants us to actively turn to Him. And I mean, He already knows what He's going to do, and it's not necessarily that He'll only do it if, but at the same time, He wants us to learn. He wants us to grow in our knowledge of Him, not just theoretic knowledge but experiential knowledge of him as well right and we'll we'll see more about that in a a moment in a few verses here but so we we often have to purposefully remind ourselves of these things again when David fled from uh, you know the land of Israel to the Philistines he obviously wasn't actively reminding himself that God is able to deliver him from Saul he was at the point where his flesh was tired, probably. He was, he was scared. I mean, it looked like everybody was against him. And he's like, "I there's nothing else I can do. I have to go do this. And when he got there, again, the, the, the Lord allowed the circumstances to remind David of other things. And he, you know, his heart was... Turn back to the Lord in, in an active way. And, and I don't think it's that David purposely said, God can't help me here, I have to go. You know, it, it's not that David was denying the Lord or whatever, it's just he wasn't actively thinking of the Lord and appropriating the Lord's work in his life at that time like he should have, and much like we do. I do, you know. But you see the Lord's deliverance here. So notice quickly, go through verses 4 through 7 here. He says, I sought the Lord. So he starts out saying, you know, when this happened, I was seeking, I started seeking after the Lord because he got himself in a situation where he realized, okay, I don't know any way out of this. What am I going to do all? I better ask the Lord, huh? Now, he should have done that before he ever left and went there, yes but better late than never, as they say, right? Uh, so he sought the Lord. And the idea of this word seek here, it, it means literally to be searching, to looking out, be looking out, uh, you know? And so he, he sought the Lord. And it's not that the Lord like, hi, he's playing hide and seek, okay? That, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta go through this process to find him, that's, that's not the point. But God does want us to turn to him. He does want us to rely on him. And that's, that's constant all the time, all right? But what does he say? He says, I sought the Lord and he, what's it say? He heard me, all right? And delivered me from all my fears. And we, we mentioned this kind of last week or the, the other time, but fears. That, this struck me when I was thinking about this and, and studying this psalm was he doesn't say he, he delivered him from all his present dangers, which would be true, okay? But he says, all my fears, that goes beyond the present dangers because it's like all the what ifs, all right? What, I mean, that's what fears are, right? You're sitting here worrying about what if this, what if this, what if this, what if this, what if this? And thinking about all the possible things that could go wrong, they're not, but they could, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how we think. That's how our flesh thinks because again, our flesh naturally the, the, the nature in our flesh wants to run from, it turns from God. It doesn't nat- naturally trust God. And so we must activate and, and actively put our trust in God and control our thinking, right? But he says he delivered me from all my fears. Delivered is the idea of he, he snatched me out, right? He rescued me. Is, is really the idea there, of all my fears, all that I was afraid of, all that I was worrying about. They looked, and it seems here to me that this is grammatically the same thing again. He's saying his fears then turned to the Lord. They looked unto the Lord, all right, and were lightened, he says. And then he, he notice, and their faces were not ashamed. Then notice verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. So notice here, because I'm trying to hurry now, um, that he mentions about this poor man. He, that's a term of him reflecting on himself and, and in a humble way, okay? Uh, so, and it's, it's very interesting that humility is a necessary, necessary ingredient to being close to the Lord. When we're not humble, we're not close to the Lord end of story god says that he gives grace to whom to the humble and in james 4 he says he resists the proud right i mean and he keeps them away and then in verse the next verse says we should submit ourselves unto the lord we should draw nigh to him and he will what draw nigh to us all right i mean it's kind of like if if uh we draw to him, we, we walk toward him, but he's, he's coming toward us as well at the same time. And and you know, like two running together and embracing. All right? Um, but humility is necessary, and our flesh hates humility. Nobody's flesh likes humility. It is the enemy of our flesh, or our enemy our flesh is the enemy of humility. Uh, but He says here in verse 7, let me just point this out. This poor man cried, the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. God God delivers those that rely on him, that humble themselves before him. They become the recipients of his grace. That's, That's true when it comes to salvation. For a person to be saved, they have to be humbled before God. End of story. I mean... There's a lot involved in that, perhaps. You could go into a lot more details, but a proud person will never be saved. Humility is necessary in order to be saved, but for the Christian, the person who is saved, humility is a necessary ingredient continually in our lives. If we're going to be close to the Lord, if we're going to be the recipients of His grace, remember I was mentioning a few minutes ago about not sinless perfection, but any Christian does not have to sin at any given time. Any, any particular time of temptation, whatever. You don't have to sin because God promises grace. But the, one of the problems we have often is we don't humble ourselves. And if we don't humble ourselves, we're not going to have His grace to resist that at that time. All right? So, I mean, that's part of the whole thing. And, and God promises a way to escape, but it also says we need to look for it which involves humbling ourselves, seeking Him, right? So, I mean, again, these same principles just rehashed over and over again and true throughout the Bible. But verse 7, he says, the angel, this is an interesting picture here, the angel of the Lord. Now, I was trying to determine, and I'm 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 not real sure right now. I think it's more generic. I don't think this is specifically the term that we would use the angel of the lord which is a reference to the lord jesus in the old testament but this is just generally speaking god's messengers are around his people and they're there for help and protection and and it's by the way i am not and i never would i i I don't think it's right to pray to angels okay there are people that talk about all that kind of stuff But god does use angels in this world all right but by the way we don't have to worry about angels and all this because think of the believer has the presence of god all right god the holy spirit is greater than any angel all right but at the same time we see in the scriptures that god uses his angels in spiritual warfare against the hosts of the devil i mean but but So we shouldn't be, like, worried about, are the angels around helping us? I mean, but this is just kind of like, and it's more of an Old Testament term than a New Testament term, okay? But it's just like the picture here. Remember there in 2 Kings, uh, I can't remember the exact reference, but 2 Kings where Elisha uh, was in Dothan, I think it was, and these people were coming, and then it's the, I guess it was the Syrians were surrounding them and we're going to take him and uh and he was just not even worried about it they had the whole city surrounded all this kind of stuff and then his servant gehazi mentioned something and and he says lord open his eyes and it says that gehazi saw all these heavenly forces surrounding the people that were surrounding them and you know it's kind of that picture all right if we we realize, I mean, God's able, it doesn't have to be angels, whatever, but God's able to deliver us from trouble, whatever the circumstances. Now, we, we need to put ourselves in the place of being delivered, all right? And that's kind of what this is, this is about here. Um, you know, God promises great blessings to His people and deliverance and so on, but there is an active participation involved on our part, all right? So now, David's delight, you see this in verses 8 through 10, he says, "O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord should not want any good thing. Now, again, just, just quickly on this, all right, you can see that he's, he's inviting others to see how good the Lord is. All right, that's kind of it when he says, "Oh, taste and see." the 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 idea of tasting the Lord's goodness is referred to in First Peter. It's referred to in the Book of Hebrews, and and but it's not like I was trying to think of this in kind of a cooking thing, and I'm not a cook or whatever. But I was trying to think of this in that you know, it's kind of like it, maybe you've had circumstances, maybe maybe we're your wife would dip something and say, taste this, you know? There's two different ways that that could be. That invitation could be for, all right? Two different things. One is, okay, do you like it? You know, that kind of an idea. Or the idea of, I know you're going to love this. This is good, you know. That kind of an idea. And, and they're not the same, obviously, right? And, and this instance is like the second there. David's like, you you got you to gotta try this. you got to taste this. You have to see how good the Lord is. This is good. I know you're going to love it. You know, that kind of an idea. And I, again, I, I, again he's talking about the Lord's deliverance, the Lord's help. And he even mentions in a couple times here, and some of them I've passed over, but how that there's no want to them that fear him, no lack, you're not going you're, you're to miss your needs. Or, I don't know if I, that was said right, but in other words, your needs are not going to get, uh, ah, I can't get that across how I want to say it, but in other words, you don't have to worry about lacking what you need if you're trusting, loving, humbling yourself before delighting in God, all right? god will take care of that he'll take care of you he'll take care of what's needed he will deliver when needed and, and so on right um and then he uses that example in verse 10 which is interesting i thought but and and one writer that i i was reading says he thinks this reflects back as david got back to the land of judah in the hill remember he was in the caves and the hill country and that and i often I've never been to Israel, I would love to go, Uh, but what I've seen picture-wise, what I've read and so on, there's a lot in the western United States, geographically and landscape-wise, that I think is likened to uh, Israel. And I don't know if anybody's ever, whether you could be in like western Colorado, uh, obviously parts of Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, uh, Nevada, uh maybe less so nevada but definitely in those areas there western colorado utah and the northern parts of of uh, arizona and new mexico there's a lot of mountainous desert area canyons caves i mean all this kind of stuff and uh and there's a lot of wildlife there We, we telling uh, brother Andy about the the mountain lion story from Colorado but uh, it's like as if David's reflecting he's back now here and he's reminded by seeing something that was probably not all that common for him to see lions in the land of Judah in that those canyons and hill country and so on uh, and thinking you know what some of those they're actually going hungry they don't have enough prey and so on and maybe that's because God was protecting him and his band of men and their families and so on that were, you know, on the run from Saul, God was keeping them safe, so the lions were actually going without food, but God is showing him a picture, and David saying, you know, even those which you don't think lions, I mean, if anybody's going to get some food, it's going to be them, right? Now, again, these aren't like African lions, but that would apply in that setting in, in Africa, right? If anybody's going to get be able to get prey. I mean, surely they would. Somebody, even if some other animal kills it, they'd go take it. I mean, who's going to stop them, right? But they might go hungry, but God's not going to allow you to go without, is the idea. God will take care of your needs. That's that's the idea what he's saying here, all right? And so then you come to verses 11 through 22. You see David's sermon. In his song, you see David's declaration, David's deliverance written about, spoken of, David's delight. And he's delighting in the Lord here again, tasting and then and trusting in the Lord, fearing him. These are key, key words. And then again, in verses 11 through 22, you see David's sermon. There's an invitation here, like gather around and listen now, whether it's to all Israel, generally speaking, as he's king after this instance, or if it's just the men that he's, you know, uh, that are gathered around him shortly after this instance, but it, it doesn't necessarily matter, right? There's an invitation there for others to come and, and, and get involved in this. And then you see in verses 12 through 14, I just called this intention, all right? Notice he says, what man is he? Verse, well, read verse 11, didn't read it. Come, you children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Then he goes into this, what man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And there's a number of things there that would be nice to park on and, and look at for a while, but simply you see a list of things that we know are, are right to do. I mean, you can kind of, I mean, because they're not real specific, some of them, all right? I mean, keep your tongue from evil, all right? That, that That's not specific in every situation, but there's a general principle there, all right? There are things that we need to just not say, period, all right? Um, And your lips from speaking guile. Guile, of course, is deceit. And thinking back on the occasion of the psalm, what was David? I mean, he got himself, it seemed, into a pickle, and then he turned to what? Deceit to try to get out of it. He tried to act like he was crazy, like he was a madman. That's the term that's used there in 1 Samuel 21. Started slobbering all over himself and, uh, you know, scratching at the gate and the post, whatever. And and they're like, "Uh, get this guy out of here, you know? I mean, but David, you know, again, he he realized it's not from his own deceit that got him out of that. The Lord intervened, all right? And then... um, Verse 14, depart from evil. Stay away from evil. Do good. We ought to actively, you know, again, there's times that we just don't know what to do. You ever want, you're, you're in a wait. you're waiting, you're thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Well, there are still things that we know are right to do, and we should be doing those regardless. All right? Um, do good. Seek peace and pursue it. It's interesting that he emphasized that here. He says, seek peace and pursue pursue it most of us often and automatically sometimes think that peace should be ours we deserve peace but the bible tells us to seek it in other words it you know there's some effort on our part if we're going to have that now and there's a number of things about this uh, several references in the new testament was going to go to but here's here's just one all right Philippians chapter four, look this up later. We don't have time to go there and read it right now. You're familiar with many of the statements in that. All right. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known before all men, for the Lord is at hand. Then verse six, now I can't can't think of it. that's part of the verse that's the uh, the last part of that verse now I can't think of the first part of the verse I hate when that happens senior moment I'll claim um, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding all right so be here. but But in order for that peace there, it means there's some things you got to do. Don't be anxious. Don't be worrying. In other words, don't take it into your own hands to solve your own problems. Don't sit and stew and worry. Remember all of David's fears back in Psalm 34? But instead, we should do what? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication... Let a request be made known unto God. And then it says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. All right? In other words, when we go to him, we lay it before him, we leave it with him, we trust him, we allow him to do what only he can do, that brings peace in our lives. So seeking peace is not just peace with people, but you know, the peace of God actively in our lives, but it necessitates the same things that he's talking about, trusting him, fearing him, the, the idea of fear in this psalm, I think it's pretty much the consistent word throughout in the, in the uses here. It, it's the idea of a reverence for him. I mean, there is the idea of an awe, like we, re- we recognize he's all powerful. I mean, obviously, if God wanted to hurt us, he could. But we know that's, I mean, by other scriptures, that's not his desire, right? But we're in awe of him. I mean, we, we, we are... And that's kind of an act of worship. It's, it's recognizing His greatness. And realizing, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 talks about the fear of the Lord in the sense that we recognize there is judgment. And I don't know about you, but honestly, I would have to admit, there are, I haven't always done everything that I should because I love God, but there's been times I've not done some things that I... Shouldn't have done that I was maybe tempted to do because I knew God judges things. And the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. I mean, we, you know, fear is a good thing at times. It's not the best. The best motivation is love. That's the greatest motivation. But fear can be a good motivation at times, right? The right fear. And fearing God, realizing, you know what? There are consequences to this. I don't want to have those consequences, so I'm not going to do this. that's, That's a smart thing. I mean, again, the greatest motivation to do right is because we love God. That is the greatest motivation. But sometimes we just need to be reminded, you know what? Hey, we do that. Bad things can happen. And we don't want that, right? So don't do it. I mean... That's kind of where you start with your kids, right? Then hopefully in time, they do do things because they love you, not just because they don't want to get corrected. We'll just leave it at that, right? Um, so you see all this here in David's sermon, and again, we're 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 out of time. I was going to have you, all right? And and I encourage you to do this on on your own time because this is a this is a, a, a comforting and encouraging psalm when you consider the background again realize I mean sometimes we think of these biblical characters like they were far different than us like they were some kind of extra special human being that they you know David was I mean David was a great man but he was a man he had the same troubles same temptations same flesh I mean as we do but we can you know the old the new testament tells us the old testament god gave it to us for our learning for our example so that we could do the right things right and we could learn from these men so i encourage you look through this psalm and and two things to look for all right look at the the actions that are in in in, and they're really kind of a limited list but they're throughout here like fearing trusting delighting and so on look look for the actions note those and then look for the promises of god in this psalm because this psalm is full of promises for god's people now let me let me put a little caveat there and say i don't know anywhere in the psalm where it directly says god says i will so the promises aren't in that form but they're in the form of david saying the lord is and does all right so it's from David's experience that we can learn these promises and what to trust God about and for. I encourage you to do that because there's, a, there's a, a number of those here. Let me read. I'm going to stop here. Let me read two statements. I brought this other Bible. It's a life application Bible here. And I just there were two little paragraphs I wanted to, to read, if I can keep this thing off of me and find this here. Um, one is, God's promises, God promises great blessings to His people, but many of these blessings require our active participation. He will free us from fear, deliver us from trouble, guard us, show us kindness, supply our needs, listen when we talk to Him, and redeem us, but we must... Do our part, all right? We can appropriate his blessings when we seek him, when we cry out to him, when we trust him, when we fear him, when we keep from lying, when we turn from sin, when we do good, when we seek peace, when we have humble hearts and when we serve him, all right? And I'll just leave it at that for now to give you a taste of that, but look for those things in the psalm. And the thing is, it's all for us to learn, okay, this is what I need to practice in my life. This is what I need to do. And maybe you get a whole list and you think that's overwhelming. Well, start and say, you know, Lord, this week help me too, whichever one of those it is. And be actively trying and seeking for the Lord to help you apply and appropriate that particular aspect to your life this week. Next week, once, once that's learned and you can practice that, go on to another one. But, uh, but at least practice something in it that you can learn from it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for this, this again, this example of this way you worked in David's life and, and really how we know from Bible principles you want to work in our lives and help us to put ourselves in the place of receiving your goodness and blessings. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.